Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Listeners, if you enjoy this podcast, I promise you will love my new audiobook for Moms Don't Have Time to a Quarantine Anthology. It's not about the quarantine, but a lot of the essays were written during that time about other things that moms don't have time to do or other busy people, things like reading, eating, working out, breathing, having sex, and 60 best-selling and notable authors wrote essays. All those authors have been on this very podcast. So if you like to listen to my conversations, if you want to get to know these authors better, I read the audiobook myself. Check it out on Audible, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology. Again, Audible, audiobook. Go listen to it. It's like 60 mini podcasts. I hope you enjoy. Diana Cooper-Schmidt is the author of Emma's Laughed, The Gift of Second Chances, a memoir. Diana holds a master's of social work degree and works for the Department of Health in the Early Intervention Program, a federal entitlement program servicing children from birth to three with developmental delays and disabilities. Her published essays have appeared in the Huffington Post, Mother Magazine, Manifestation, Still Standing Magazine, Motherwell, and others. On the weekends, she indulges her creative passion working as a photographer specializing in newborn family and maternity photography. She resides in New York City with her family. 
welcome Diana. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Emma's Laugh, The Gift of Second Chances, your memoir. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Diana, I know that we met at Zibby's Virtual Book Club and I got to know you that way. And your book was so beautifully written. I mean, it was just, I'm so glad that we connected. You're the way you wrote your poignant, beautiful story, it was just amazing. So I don't know. Bravo to you. Well done. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I know there was a lot of pain involved and a lot of emotion and the story of your beautiful daughter, Emma, and how you took care of her and all of the stuff in her 18 years. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry for your loss. And just, I am, I'm just bowled over by this book. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm so, I'm so, I'm happy it touched you. And, you know, I didn't set out to write the book. Obviously I didn't aspire to write a book about losing a child, but I I found myself in the wake of her passing, starting to write as a way of processing the grief and the loss and making sense and meaning of what happened and of the last 18 years. And I realized that I was grieving her for the second time, but in a, a bigger way and in a much more devastating way. Because when she was first born, I grieved her birth because she was born with a rare genetic condition that left her physically and intellectually disabled with myriad medical conditions. And I unraveled. I, I grieved the loss of the dream of a healthy child and I grieved the life that she would never have and the life that we wouldn't have with her. And so I was not dealing well with the information. And here I am a social worker myself, you know, having worked with special needs kids, yet I did not think that I could do right by her, that I could give her the life that she deserved. And so when the hospital social worker broached the subject of alternatives to bringing her home, I did not storm out of the room. I stayed and we listened And she offered that there are families that are willing to adopt special needs kids like Emma. And I I was so overwhelmed with guilt and shame because I thought, well, if I don't think I can take care of my own child, like who would want that? Who would take that on themselves? And she said, some people have a calling in life. It's like the only way, you know, she could explain it. And we went home and, and. We talked, you know, my husband and I talked about it and we decided that if we were to find a good home for her, that we would give her up for adoption. And that's exactly what happened. We found this beautiful Jewish Orthodox family and they had three Down syndrome adopted children and they wanted a fourth child and we gave her up. She was about five months old at that point. I was already pregnant with my son and I told myself that I would, this was a do-over and I wanted a do-over and this new baby would be that, you know? And I was going to get it right this time. And then things happened. I don't want to give too much away, but I'm home, you know, pregnant with this big belly as thinking that I real that I made a mistake, but not being able to do anything about it other than just talk to the adoptive family because we had an open adoption. So we could, you know, check in and see how she was doing. She was never doing well. She was in the hospital with pneumonia and RSV. And just as I was like, tried, you know, just as I was thinking that, you know, we made a mistake. And I think I broached the subject with my husband and he told me that he found some things out about the adoptive situation because he'd been visiting her behind my back (laughs) in, in the adoptive home and in the hospital. And then 
that sort of, you know, that was, that was a life raft that he gave me with that information. And, and we found out that the conditions no longer existed. So we were able to bring her home and she came home five months later and I had instant twins (laughs) and just life took off after that. And yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm well, saying too much. Or... No, you're not saying too much. And you're so open in the book about just your complicated feelings about raising Emma, putting her up for adoption. The fact that you were at St. Luke's and like trying to pretend like you weren't going to give her up for adoption. And yet here you were dealing with these super complicated medical issues and having doctors ask you, Oh, like you must be in the medical field. And you're like, no, no, no. I just have had to learn all this. And and sort of the shame that you had when you admitted your feelings of, you know, A, disappointment, B, sort of incompetence, right? Because all of a sudden you're asked, I mean, there were a lot of medical issues, right? Like feeding yeah. to gastroenterologists, like all, you know, I mean, there was a lot, it's it's a lot of, in anyway, I just, your honesty and all the things and the self-doubt and the, your relationship with your husband and how you two dealt with it as a team. And like, it was just Mm. also real. And also I just wanted to maybe like read a few passages or a a passage or two, because your writing style is just so beautiful. I had so many that I dog-eared here that now I can't decide which one to read. And now I'm wasting time. By the way, I wanted to know what happened with your sister, because that was like a big thing in the beginning of the book. And I feel like Maybe yeah. I missed it, but I don't remember yeah. what happened at the end. How is she now? Like, what's the deal? Oh, with she's her? great. She's yeah, she's great. great. She's okay. a mom of two. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. We're, we're very close. Yeah. I think once you get older, sort of that age gap, that it it, it, it kind of corrects itself, right? So more, we're, we're like friends and sisters now versus like mother-daughter, which is not like a healthy relationship, but it worked for us at the time. And the reason I'm asking, you know, in the book, you described how you basically took her in, even though you were yeah. a sister, to be like a parent to her. And anyway, I yeah. was always wondering what happened to her. There's like themes of, you know, rejection and acceptance and forgiveness in the book and belonging, you know. And there was a lot of that from the beginning, just in terms of me rejecting, you know, accepting my sister, then rejecting her. Me, you know, our country of origin, Soviet Ukraine, rejecting us as, you know, Jewish people, and then America accepting us, and then me rejecting Emma, and then accept, like, there's so, you know, there's a lot of those themes going on. So, yeah. Wow. Well, here's just one, and this is at the end, but you wrote, Emma was the fulcrum upon which I teetered. She was my perfectly imperfect child, my teacher, my sage, and I loved her more for it. She elevated to the surface my worst fears and perceived flaws and shed light on them so that they no longer had the power to possess me, to threaten my existence. By casting the focus on her care and well-being, Emma relieved me of the burden of self-obsession to be perfect and lead a perfect life. I was less a prisoner to others' judgment and no longer succumbed to the anxieties that so mercilessly plagued my psyche in years past. It was as if by taking on my pain, she freed me of my existential wounds, just as I had wanted to do for her all those times she hurt. Oh, so beautiful. That time, I'm like, who wrote that? That sounds so good when you read it. Oh, uh, thank oh you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you no. upset. 
No, no, it's fine. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what Emma did for us. Well, for me, she, Oh, I'm going to keep one more sentence. Yeah. Go ahead. Me, go ahead. Oh, Cause it's just so much. Um, Emma helped me navigate the tangled pathways of my heart and rearranged it from her. I learned that sometimes you find beauty where you least expected in her. I found beauty and wisdom and grace. This little girl who in my youthful ignorance, I believe was broken had healed me because it was me that was broken all along. Diana, this is like amazing. I'm about to cry myself. Uh, thank you. I, okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thanks. Oh my gosh. I didn't expect to get emotional again. You think you, you shed enough tears. Yeah, that's what she did for, for us. And um, I'd like to think that the book is a love letter to her, you know, because I made a mistake. I took a detour and I was given, you know, the universe realigned and I was given this massive opportunity to make things right and to learn these important lessons and to, even though our story was very individual and personal, maybe somebody can glean some universal important message or value in it that they can benefit from. Because you know, everybody's lost, right? We Everybody's grieved a person, a relationship, you know, a something. And I think that if I can touch people universally, if people can be healed by my story, our story, they can find solace. If you're a special needs parent raising a child with special needs, like I didn't seek out that community of parents. And I regret that. I say that, you know, I had my village of you know, family and friends and therapists and nurses, but I didn't, I didn't want to belong to that community of special needs parents because I didn't want to live in the otherness. You know, it struggled coming to America and belonging, assimilating into a new country and being accepted. You know, I did, I wanted to, I wanted to belong to the, to the larger, you know, typically typical world. And so I went about uh, kind of creating a sense of normalcy for our life and our family. Everything had to be normal. We, we did the same things that everybody else did. And just, just going back to, you know, the reasons why I rejected her in the beginning, we were young and I kind of felt like, oh, how could I, you know, I felt morally bankrupt. Like, how could I give up my own child and a sick child for that? But then I realized that in those early stages, I bought into, you know, the narrative that society feeds us that, you know, people with disabilities live dark, you know, tragic lives and, you know, and they're to be pitied. And I just saw myself existing in that realm or in those margins with her. And I, I didn't want to be in that space. So I kind of excused myself and, and I thought somebody else, you know, can do a better job. But then when she came back, you know, she gave us, you know, too short, but 18 years of like silently teaching me those lessons because she was nonverbal, but she taught me to find my voice, you know, in the advocating for her and then learning that it was okay to advocate for myself and to ask for things that I needed. You know, she helped me find my voice in her very silent way. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. So how do you now like pick up and just like wake up each morning without this big, like I felt that she had become, she had like overtaken, not overtaken, that's the wrong word, but like so, there was so much focus. And of course you had so much focus on your other two kids as well, but on making sure things were okay. And always, you know, for a while she was very stable, right? Her health got much more stable aside from little bouts with pneumonia and all these things. Like, but just like even the cuddling of her and like, you know, helping her through and like getting all of her many, the services, everything taken care of. And now obviously poured yourself into this book, which is an amazing way to sort of cope and keep her memory alive, to be honest. What happens like when you wake up in the morning, like, is it the first thing you think about? Like, tell me about that. Well, it's been six years since she passed, but she's with me every moment of every, she's on my screensaver. She's everywhere, you know, and, and I feel her presence. I mean, I write in the book that I was able to spiritually connect with her because I went to a medium a month after she passed and there were so many signs. And I just, you know, I felt I, you know, my husband and I, we were in different spectrums, uh, ends of the spectrum in terms of belief. You know, he's, I say, he's a, he's a, a devout scientist and I'm a spiritual person. You know, I, I believe that this can't be everything. This is not it, right? We are, you know, spiritual beings, you know, having, you know, a physical human existence. And when I connected with Emma, with this medium, I just felt like, had I not connected with her, I would have thought that this is the end of the story. Like, this is it. But then I realized that it's not the end of the story and I had to write the story. So in the writing of it is when I came to terms with the fact that this is, there's a story to be told that maybe somebody can benefit from. So the last six years, you know, you know, I've been learning to 
be a better writer, to be a writer. This is not my background. I'm like, you know, I've, I, I don't have a background in writing. I had to learn the craft, but I was that voracious kid, the teenager walking down the street from high school with a book in my hand reading. Like, and then when I started writing, I, you know, I realized I had to learn the craft. So that's what I've been doing for the last five and a half years. And so she's always with me because I'm always talking about her or talking about the book. Now that the book is out, like, uh, I'm getting a lot of wonderful feedback and it's so nice to see that her story, our story touches people. And that in fact, what I started doing for selfish reasons, which was writing as the form of grieving and making sense became something, you know, selfless, hopefully that somebody can benefit from, I think, you know, like Susan Shapiro tells her writing students, you take your worst experience and you make something beautiful out of it. And I hope that I did that without aspiring to it. I'm always making excuses and, and disclaimers and saying, like, I'm not a writer. I've just been playing one for the last six years. But, you know, people point out that, you, you know, you are what you do. And I, I wrote a lot of words. <laughs> so. Yes, you wrote a lot of words. And you <laughs> are a beautiful writer and you are absolutely a writer. And it doesn't matter when you start. I mean, I actually think there are like a lot of non-practicing writers out there. I mean, yeah. you either- like, I, cause I feel like that's, you know, I feel like there were many years I didn't write a word, but I always like, that's how I process things. That's how I, you know, I feel like, and I want to, I feel like now I want to do some sort of study on like, what is it that makes some people writers and other people not, yeah. it's not the quality, it's not the quantity. It's just some sort of part of your personality that sees and records and wants to share it. Yeah. audio, like written, I don't know, but you are a hundred percent a writer and oh, thank you. <laughs> just amazing. I think it helps to be a reader. I think in the writing you know, oh, yeah. process, because I'm such a perfectionist and I'm like, if I'm going to write, like even in high school and college in my dark days, when I would write, be going through some existential angst, I would like keep a journal for a second, but I'd be still critical of what was writing in my journal. Like as if somebody's going to read it and like check my grammar, you know? <laughs> so when I started writing the book, I was like, I, if I'm going to do this, I have to do this right. So I took one workshop then I took 10 workshops and I had a lot of people, you know, a lot of eyes on my work and a lot of feedback, a lot of, you know, words in my ear. And it is a compilation of, you know, uh, many people's efforts. So, you know, you see, you, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to write a book. And I'm so grateful for that, you know, for that opportunity. So 10, literally 10 workshops, or are you just saying that? I'm not just saying that. Wow. I'm telling you. Okay. (laughs) And I read many, 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 many memoirs. Like that was like five years of reading memoir and writing on the train and writing on this, you know, reading on the Stairmaster. And I think I read somewhere, there's a study that says like, you know, when you're, when you're right, when you're active, when you're moving, it's sort of like sparks, you know, thought. And so I found that as I was on the Stairmaster, I was reading, I would get an idea and I would jot it down. And on the train, the same thing, like something about the movement of the train, <laughs> the motion, I would get inspired and I would read and write. Huh. I yeah. That. I always read on the elliptical machine when I actually like drag myself downstairs to the gym, but yeah. <laughs> right. Same. I, like, you know, I, I love doing that and it's true. It does, it does sometimes spark ideas, but that's, you know, I would also love, by the way, I don't know if you even kept a list, but I love memoirs and I would love to see your list of what you read the last few, like when you did a deep dive into memoir, because 
Yeah. That can be useful for other aspiring memoirists. Like I'm trying to write a memoir right now. And I'm like, how did you learn your, how did you teach us to do this? You know, you're like, I heard good. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I read, I have a list. I have a whole list. I, I mean, I can, I have, I could write up a list, but it must've been like, I don't, I mean, 50 is exaggerating. I, I read a good 30, I would say in the last few years. Maybe you could uh, I, write, write a piece yeah. where moms don't have time to write about yeah. like how you talk about how to write a memoir and then put the yeah. list in the article so that other people. I will do that. I will do that. I did a little, I did a little. Yeah. <laughs> I did a little uh, reel on Instagram about, you know, like a 30 second reel. Like, so you want to write a memoir. What do you need to do? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> you need to read. You need to write a workshop, you know, take a yeah. workshop, and yeah. all, et cetera. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I know. I just cannot master these reels. I feel like I, I just cannot get good at reels. I, I, I can't hard. like go back and forwards. And I'm like, what did I already put? I don't know. I'm having, I have trouble with reels, but anyway, I <laughs> hats off. You can figure it out. I'm, I'm not technically, I'm technically very challenged. And, and if I'm able to figure it out, you yeah. can too. It takes a little know. bit. Yeah. Not as intuitive. <laughs> no, I can like build entire websites and I, I can do lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. This one seems to be eluding me, but anyway, I'll try again. Good. So are you still writing now? Like what's your, now that you have this skill? I'm writing essays here and there, you know, I just got a, a Huffington Post piece out, which I'm very proud of. It's like my, my first big byline, but I feel so depleted at this point, you know, cause I've been like sort of talking about the book, talking it up, you know, marketing it. It feels like a very dirty kind of business. And, you know, the subject matter that I'm talking about is difficult, is a difficult one. So I'm looking forward to the day where I could just like put it down and just not write anything for a while, like not even a greeting card or a happy birthday card. Cause I, you know, it's like you're, you're opening a vein when you're writing. So, but I'm, I'm sure I will write something in the, in the way of maybe essays or shorter pieces uh, and not a book. I don't think I have a book in me. I think this will be my, you know, one hit wonder. If it's a hit and it's a wonder. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just happy to have it out in the world. And I'm, you know, I just want to see people touched by it, you know, and that would be the greatest gift of Emma's story. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, it's just so beautiful. And I really encourage everybody to read it and to get to know your daughter and your words. And yeah, it's very moving. And I have so much respect for you and all that you've been through in life and the way you've just kept going and sort of lived to tell the the story and help other people. And, you know, I know at the end you had a debate of you should, how many kids should you say that you have and that you'll always say you have three kids. And I just think that is the most beautiful sort of way to close the, the book and the whole thing is just, you know, my heart like goes out to you and I wish I could like give you a hug. Not that you need it, but it's just amazing. Maybe so. someday we're, we're neighbors, you know, so maybe virtual hug now, but we can cross the, I'm on the West, I'm on the West side. You're on the East. So oh, maybe no one day. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I hand oh, delivered perfect. my art to you actually. So Did you? I'm so much. Yeah. Amazing. No, no, no. To your, to your, to the, to the doorman. Oh shoot. <laughs> I wish I'd met you. Well, I'm out of town now, but let's get together for sure. I would love to meet you in person. Same, same. Absolutely. That's great. Yes. In-person hug. Thank you. I know. Yeah. Thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for coming to that book club and introducing yourself and all of that and making sure I I didn't miss this special book. Uh, Thank thank you you. so much. Thank you for your support. I am just so honored to talk to you. This This was lovely.
Thank you. Okay. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.